Hey everybody, super quick introduction. What you're going to hear here on this podcast is actually a recording of the Zoom meeting we did today um, to talk about the plea. Hopefully, I didn't share any information that you haven't already been able to read in the paper, but mostly I wanted a chance to just talk with everybody that's been so incredibly supportive. So if you missed it today, I'm sorry. We'll do it again, I promise, probably on the 30th of June. But I want to thank everybody for their support. It's just, you cannot know how meaningful it is. So here you go. Listen to the podcast. Listen to the Zoom call. And I'll talk to you all soon. Ah, you guys are amazing. You know, the best part of this whole thing is I know half of you. That's just so cool. Even if I know you from Twitter or from Facebook or whatever, this is like the coolest crowd ever. And you guys have been tremendously supportive, and I cannot thank you enough. And hey, Andy. <laughs> this is <laughs> you guys can see everybody, right? This is so. Cool. My daughters always say we're like sisters from another mother. Every time they see you, they're like, "Oh, you two are no two, totally." I mean, yeah, that's so funny because we so many of you guys um, follow the story. I love the cats. Um, no, have similar points of view. Are similarly life positive you know, let's change things kind of people. So I got to say the squad that I have online is amazing because these are the people that are going to change the world. So, okay, sorry, I'm going to put the soapbox back underneath. So finally, um, any of you guys that do follow me know that I've been just bombed lately. Well, part of it is because I couldn't talk, which is really bad for an extrovert. It's extremely painful for an extrovert. And I process a lot by talking to you guys. So not being able to talk about it, it's been really hard. Um, I can't see the chat. Let's turn on the chat just in case anybody. Yay, there's even more people. I love it. Okay, we even have some other, I think we have some other um, survivors on the call, potentially. Wow, so fantastic. Up. Well, I don't know. I can't see them right here. But they need to speak up as well if they want to speak up. So, uh, Chris, are you here? I'm here. It's Chris Pedretti. Yay. And <laughs> um, any other folks from the uh, Survivor Squad? It's uh, the media, of course, is going nuts today, as you just saw. Mm. So that's okay. So here's the deal. On June 1st, they, uh, uh, I work with Ventura. So everybody's district attorney uh, called, uh, called their people. Um, Sacramento, of course, had a heavy load. I'm lucky I'm up like a party of one, but my, my brothers and I talked with uh, Ventura district attorneys. But we um, were told what was happening and essentially on my call, it was a listening call. Like, what do you think? Is any issues? Because they had told us in March when we were absolutely prepared to go into a preliminary hearing. That was, I mean, we were fired up. We had met with the prosecutors that day. day we were still in court. It's kind of before the pandemic became the pandemic. Uh, and we were all twitchy, but we weren't quite paranoid yet. That was the day before. It was the next day, like California shut it down. So we were all prepared for the preliminary hearing and it was supposed to be May 14th. So of course I went ahead and decided to stay in Sacramento in my dorm room here at my daughter's house because I thought, oh, where we're going to get going. But then uh, Corona hit, COVID, whatever you want to call it, this new world we live in, this dystopian world. And so I knew things were going to get weird because we were supposed to go to court on April 29th. The hearing we're having on June 29th, which is when we go to court next, so mark your calendars, June 29th, um, which is, by the way, the day after the HBO special comes starts on 
June 28th. And you can all decide if that was kismet or if somebody knew what was going on. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. Because kismet once, when Michelle McNamara accidentally died, and then the book came out before he was arrested. That's kismet number one. But I don't know if there's kismet number two. Anyway, whatever. That's how the world works, right? Everybody knows everything quietly and things happen. And then, of course, um, Mr. Huddle's book is coming out. He's pre-announced it which is rather brilliant because at least people can pre-order it. And I just got a note from his um, press person. I've asked for an interview and uh, it hasn't been turned down yet, but she absolutely confirmed that he's not doing this to make a ton of money or anything, that this, he honestly, honestly wants to share the, what he knows so we can have more of the story. Okay, that seems pretty decent. So I'll accept that as an explanation. And she was quite cordial in her email to me. So I'll see if I can set up that interview. But in the, and he's not going to do a lot either. She said he's not going to do a lot of interviews, but I hope he does some because I think it's, you know, let's get the rest of the story. We, all of us who followed this crime for so long are really interested in the rest of the story, or at least what we can know to understand how a person like this goes undetected all this time. Does he? We'll find out. So both those things happened, which anybody who's a, who wagers could have started to make some wagers. Um, so his name is uh, James Huddle. If you're looking for the book, it's on Amazon. It is a self-published book, which also tells me he just wanted, it, actually, oh, somebody on this um, Zoom right now might have been one of the people that said, told, reminded me that when you self-publish, you don't have to be edited. And that might've been really important to him is to not have his story spun for a publisher. So I'm going to give him grace and assume that's hopefully why he self-published. And I hope it's a, his, the outline of the book is in a few places on Facebook if you um, hunt around, but it looked like an interesting outline, honestly. So I'm hoping, uh, again, James Huddle, and then let's see, and then the HBO thing is the 28th. So those two things are happening. And I, I just had a talk, I know I talked about this on the podcast, but I just talked with Paul Haynes last week, and he was... Um, the researcher on the Michelle McNamara book, and he feels really good about the HBO show. So that calmed me down a ton because of course they're using a lot of hyperbole to sell it, but of course they are, it's a TV show. I mean, I'm, like you're, of course you're gonna have a lot of hyperbole. So those are the things coming which lead to the 29th, which is the day of the hearing. Supposed to be April 29th, it was supposed to be the motion to dismiss and the demurrer. Both of those things now are not an issue. So that, that's that. So we don't have a venue yet. They have been, the team has been remarkable in doing even a head count because they're trying to manage social distancing, which, you know, think about it. If we have, if, so the, from the little bit I understand, and I don't want to overspeak because I'm trying to watch what the prosecutors are sharing, but this has already been published that there are 26 counts. Those are the counts, if you go back to my blog, you can see the 26 counts. Those are the ones that were chargeable. So they you know, don't have a statute of limitations because it involved murder, or it was a kidnapping, rape, burglary charge they could make. You add that kidnapping. So those 26 counts are things where he can plead guilty and be convicted. And those, as I understand it, count as years. So, what you, so the way they describe it to us is the way they want to do this is that you get if you get a guilty plea, click, click, click years. So murder of Lyman Smith, you get 80 years. I don't know. I'm making that up. I don't know how many years they are, but they're trying to do math, which I guess if you're a lawyer, you've got to do math, but they're trying to do the math on 
all of the counts, the 26 counts. Then there are 62 count, uh, not counts, crimes. I'm going to call them crimes for lack of a better way to talk about it. And everybody in the chat, don't worry, I'll get to your questions there. Just give me the top line that I know. But the 62 crimes, like Chris's, who's on the line. Chris, you can speak to this. They're, that crime, he will admit to that crime. Yes. Yeah. So my understanding, you can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. My understanding is that uh, they're going to read each chargeable one and each unchargeable one. He will have to say guilty to each out loud for everybody to hear. Wow. And Chris, how does that, as somebody who didn't have a count pending, how does it feel to know now you actually get to be included? You know, it feels good. I, I mean, I feel, I don't know if the word validated is right, but you know, I, I wish that there was more to it than that. I feel, uh, I feel like there's so much more that we need to know and this is an easy plea for him, but you know, don't, with no mistake, I do feel as though he's uh, accepting accountability and you know, it's gonna go on the books that way. So that's really good. I just wish there was more. Yeah, so in California, as I understand it, allocution, when you tell what happened, when you have to come up and, I mean, we've all seen this on TV, it, typically, of course, crime shows, but they come up and allocute, that is not a requirement in California. So for all of us who have been dying to be, to get some satisfaction here, we're not gonna get it in that way. Um, possibly James Huddle's book will pr provide some, but it's not gonna provide information about the crimes. And it's hard for me, I looked at the video that James has posted, there's a video on, on the Amazon page, I believe. It's hard to watch D'Angelo as a human. You know, like, I mean, he's a human in court, I get that. But you know what I mean? Like a contemporary, somebody who was younger and like on a boat having a good time. Screw that, that pisses me off. It's hard to watch, but it happened, like it's true. So um, we won't have allocution as you might expect. What we will have though that's different, and I, I hope that they're gonna stream this day so everybody can watch. But because we don't have a court record, as I understand it, there will be additional detail in the um, in each of the crimes. So, for example, just use my dad again. But honor about and and for us it probably is honor about because they don't know the exact day my dad was killed. Honor about March thirteenth. Did you enter the home of Lyman Smith? And and then they'll say the stuff, which will be more than any of us needs to hear, unfortunately. And then they'll say, "How do you plead?" And then he will say, "I plead X." The, the, the scoop I have for you guys, which I hope I don't get in trouble for sharing this, but oh well, that Jen Carroll, she has a big mouth. Um, the scoop that I have for you guys, <laughs> my whole life, by the way, since I was a kid, um, the, is that my big thing is like, at what point is he a convict? I just need to know when he's a convict. I don't care if he's a convict for one tiny little crime, I want him to go down as the Golden State Killer. As I understand it, it varies by jurisdiction. So some people think he has to sign a piece of paper or something. People think it's another thing. But what I've learned is that in Sacramento, supposedly he's a convict the minute he says guilty to the very first charge. Yeah. So that could be, could be, I hope it is, Claude Snelling in Visalia. That would then, then that, 
while we can't get them on any Visalia Ransacker, that kind of puts a bow on Visalia Ransacker. And so I'm hoping that that, I, I mean, I get, I get chills because I actually hope that's the first one because Claude, let's face it, the Claude Snelling murder and the Maggiore's who are out walking their dog, those are the two hardest cases to make on murder. We don't have DNA of those. We would need ballistics and I don't think that they had a lot of ballistic stuff because I don't know what was found in the house. I mean, that's the thing. We're never going to, like, how are we going to know all this stuff now that they did, right? <sighs> that, that our um, insatiable curiosity is going to have to be sated with wine, I guess. I don't know what else to tell you. But, but we will hear a little bit more about the crimes that he is convict the minute he says guilty. So that's something. Um, the day should be grueling and awful. No surprise when you got to go through that kind of this big of a pile of garbage. Um, I would expect it's going to be emotional and hard. And all of us survivors, we've spent a lot of time talking to each other in the last two weeks because we can't talk to anybody else and really going through a lot of emotions because, um, you know, it's, it's just like you might expect. Yeah, it's going to be done. Yeah, I can move home. Like, I, yes, you know, we'll have sentencing in August and that's all great. And I can finally put this thing behind me, which honestly will feel good. But, but he really went through this whole thing with no, like he hasn't been inconvenienced in my opinion. He's now sitting in a jail cell by himself, but aren't we all during this pandemic? I mean, we've all been in shelter in place. So he would have been sheltered in place anyway. Just four people would have had to be with him. But he, you know, he hasn't been inconvenienced. He's going to get to do this with very little inconvenience a day. He has to spend a day listening to all the things he's pleading guilty to. God, I hope he doesn't get off on it. He might. Who knows? This might actually tickle his fancy. It's hard to understand his mentality. So, so that's where we are as we look at what goes forward. As I mentioned, um, then if we have the, as we survivors have talked about, then we have HBO happening over July. So that will keep things going, which is weird, but true. And then um, we come back for sentencing in August. And as, as we understand it, and Chris, correct me if you've got it differently from Sacramento, because I got mine from Ventura, but we will be able to have our victim statements and anybody who is a victim of the 88 crimes can speak. or family member or, or fa family okay. member oh family members can talk is it is it just one of us or can multiple i don't even know I, how that works. my understanding is that any family member or victim can and that is going to take could be weeks there's no way that that many impact statements can be read so it's going to it's that it that one is not going to be a one day or like when he's pleading the guilty. But I want, I do want to say something and you might've already said this. I lost my connection. So I had to go out and come back in. Did you let everyone know that they'll actually be able to watch it live? Is that true? What's that? They said they're going to have a YouTube channel. I'm thinking it's for the public because okay. they're, they're expecting so many people. They can't fit them in. So uh, my understanding is, is I know that there, it will be live on a YouTube channel and, my assumption it is for the public, not just for us, because it, it's going to be a lot of reporters. There's going to be a lot of, you know, people who have followed this case and, you know, want to see it. A lot of family members, you know, and we don't have any idea how big the room is or how many rooms. So, so anyways, to keep you posted, you guys can watch it, you know, real time live. Uh, wow. That's brilliant. Yes, yeah, Sam Stanton from the SAC B, I talked with him this morning, because of course, and he had mentioned that he had heard they were looking at, this cracks me up, the Sacramento Convention Center, or, sorry, Cal Expo. So, there wow. you go. Holy wow. shit. 
right? <laughs> and just, I'm trying, like, in, in a weird way, one of the things we had at Department 61, which I really appreciate, we had great bailiffs, we, the judge has been amazing, we see our regular reporters, there's kind of an intimacy that's been in Department 61, again, that's the, that's a court, it's a, you guys have seen pictures, I posted them, it's a funky courtroom, literally in the county jail, so it's just right there with one of the hottest uh, waiting areas ever because they made a sunroom in Sacramento. I don't know what they were thinking, but that it's a very intimate courtroom. And if you got a big booty like me, you don't even really fit in the chairs very well. So it's tight space. Now we'll be, um, we'll have a lot more space and I, I guess we'll lose some of that intimacy, but that's okay. I mean, that's just, that's okay. That's how it has to be. And I'm, I, to me, it's a community that was wounded, and I wish every darn person in Sacramento County and beyond that wants to come could come. I just don't know if that's going to be the case, but I feel like this belongs to everybody. It's not just just us, um, but it's everybody. So let's hope that um, I'm really glad they're going to stream it because that at least you guys can participate that way. And I'll I'll keep you up to date on that. If you follow me on Twitter or like on my Facebook page or whatever, you you'll I'll keep you guys up to speed on that stuff. So, okay, let me think. Any other thing, big things? That's the big thing. So now I know people have questions and that's why I wanted to open this up because I figured it's a lot easier than answering the phone all day and trying to respond <laughs> to everybody. Plus, this is the most awesome thing ever seeing all of you like, Joan, you just did like a yay. And I'm like, yes, it's so cool. So um, I'm super, super fired up by this. But tell me, uh, anybody, just let's just take our times. I'll also... Oh, the convention center's torn up. Okay, so if it's Cal Expo, oh, holy smokes, in the middle of summer, I mean, this is going to be weird. It's going to be warm. I guess I suppose they have giant rooms with air conditioning because the fair happens there. So, yeah. Um, so you guys, you have to talk. I'm just going to make it that way. I'll still look at the group chat, but it, um, speak up if you have a question. I do. Can you hear me? I can. How are your birds doing? Oh, my God. My baby <laughs> birds are amazing. So... When you shelter in place in Sacramento, um, I actually crocheted a nest. I, yeah, I'm that crazy. Um, and they used it as their substructure. And so I have two birds' nests going on outside. One has got fledgling people. Those birds are going to fledge. They're right there. Uh, are going to probably fledge on Friday. But the next batch is going to hatch on Friday if I have my timing right. So it's pretty awesome. They're little house finches. But yes, it's been everything to me to have these little guys. I swear, some of the days I've sat here crying, my chair is right over here, my little um, recliner, and I sit there and watch my birds, and I'm like, they're they're everything. They're amazing. So thank you. No, but my other question, I really had a real question, too. Um, is there a way that the DA can make him actually do the allocation where he has to be required to speak as to mm. what all he did? Yeah. There's not in california he because there is a law that that he doesn't have to i don't but they can't work it into the plea agreement somehow i think they're trying to get the other things to happen is that that is one they were willing to forego yeah i'm hoping after this is all put to bed one somebody will either leak a bunch of stuff or share with us a bunch of stuff that we don't know now because right. you know I, I, to be delicate, but I got questions. I got yeah, questions. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even involved in it. I have questions. Right? Like, maybe we should start a Google Doc and just have all the questions on one giant Google Doc. Exactly. Because exactly. I, I want to know about Sharon. I want to yeah, know. How does she not know? I just, that's another question. 
right? Like that's for the other Zoom when we start to drink, but right? I mean, there's just a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff there because th there, we have a lot of unanswered questions. Like the randomness, how many people have asked me, why did he pick your dad and Charlene? It's like, I don't know. And how did, when he got um, caught stealing bug, I mean, um, dog repellent and a hammer, why was that lot looked into with all the crimes going around at the time? That's another thing I didn't understand. That to me seemed very suspicious to have those two items stolen from a- He looked exactly store. like the sketch as well. <laughs> yeah, hey, deep throat without showing your face. Are you on this call? I know she is. She could probably tell us a little more about that because she's done a lot of the forensic research and gone and look at the arrest reports and everything. But I, I think also at the same time, you know, we have the Fraternal Order of Police and, and I want to get into all the politics of police right now because some are amazing and some are crappy. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that we all tend to protect our own regardless of what clubs we belong to, we tend to advocate for those people. So there's a good chance that he probably just got, it got overlooked. I know Paige, you asked, but it probably got overlooked because, or brushed aside because, oh, we're just gonna do him a solid. Like we're just gonna look the other way. And, and nobody had indicated that he could possibly be a thief. He's breaking into houses. He's casing houses before he ever goes there. If somebody said he usually had one, two, three list. He didn't just have his, a target, but he had a B target and a C target if A went wonky. I mean, that's the level of preparation here. So I, I don't think it really fit the MO they were looking for at the time. Maybe I'm wrong. It'd be interesting to hear. Um, and he threatened to kill his superior as well when he got sacked. Yeah, that's true. And he still didn't twig. And he looked like the sketch. He looked exactly like the sketch. <laughs> that's true. Stuff, And that's what I do. So I've always been itching to look at that because I suspect when he talked to a psychologist and that workers comp claim, which he would have, if he added a stress component, I would be very interested to see what he said in that. Yeah, that, you know, to discuss why he was terminated. Yes, I'm filing a term I'm filing a stress claim because I've been terminated from my job. Well, why were you terminated? Well, I it, but they shouldn't have and it caused me stress and sue yeah right uh and the other day when deep throat was talking she explained that yeah that workers comp case because he appealed it so he said my boss is causing me stress which I'm like right oh my god mm -hmm. then he appealed it and so that's how she was able to get more access to the information it's because he actually appealed the workers comp can you imagine what, the balls like what happens yeah, what happens is, is they go to the workers' comp appeals board. It's like the workers' comp court, right? So anytime you file a workers' comp claim, that's where it's, it's done and it's heard. But back in those days, and especially with law enforcement, they could claim, I, I mean, I had a guy that embezzled from McDonald's and filed a stress claim because it stressed him out when they talked to him. So, you know. I'm so living life wrong. <laughs> I mean... I feel a lot of the time. Nobody on this call is a whiner. There's just no whiners here. You guys are all ass kickers. Like just no whiners. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's just not working for me. I'm gonna need to, I'm gonna need to complain because the stress of me being busted is work is I yeah, I'm not doing it right. Can you hear me about the workers' comp claim? I'm okay, wait. I'm whoever's talking, you need to get a little closer to your microphone because I can't quite hear you. Jennifer, can you hear me talking about the workers' comp claim? There you are, yes. 
um, there was only very, very sketchy information left in that file. There was nothing detailed at all in that file because it was from 1979. There were only bits and pieces. It was his, uh, his address, about the claim numbers, uh, filed, and it showed by the claim numbers in there that he didn't get paid and that they referred him over to some kind of training to retrain him to work in the workforce on something else. So like it was, it's not like it was a detailed file with 10 pages or anything like that. It was very sketchy. It's almost like a dead body and there were only bones left. So. Okay. That deep throat makes an appearance. I love that. And I wonder if the retraining was like the mechanic thing. I know he did that for, you know, he already did that, but I wonder if if maybe that's part of the retraining. And then he, you know, later went into his little, what was it, Save Mart, whatever it is. And also on that FS Cut plan, what, what some of us who knew about it found interesting is, you know what they listed his address is? That one down in Southern California. So as soon as he got fired, yeah, that was really interesting. As soon as he got fired, I, I don't have the file in front of me. I forget the he was living on down there. Um, maybe somebody else on here knows it, but that's the street they showed him being at, not his teacher's house address. So that is really interesting. We can't, we're, um, you're muffling again. I want to make sure we get you, your audio. It's good audio. So he, there's an address in Southern California, and I don't know if I know that address. Do you know the city at least? Is that the Orange County address? I, have, I would have to pull the file okay. out and see. What, we, we got, we got time. There was a Long Beach, but you know we can get that later. I know there was a Garden Grove and a Long Beach. Okay, Garden Grove and Long Beach. And uh, Long Beach is still LA County, I think. Isn't County. It? Yeah, it's LA County. And, then, and that's been some of the challenges that some of this primary source stuff is scattered across the state. So well, Deep Throat's really good up here in Northern California. Sue, actually, who's talking, is um, willing to help us in Southern California, so I need to get you two connected. You can go pull the files, because that's another way to go get... Go ahead. Okay, more questions. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Um, I am wondering, and from what I've seen, like, rumors going around on the internet, is that he is going to confess to crimes he hasn't been charged with. Is that anything that you've heard? So, so those would be, if that's what you're hearing, it's my understanding those will be the additional 62 crimes. Wow. Because he couldn't be charged with, and they, and again, they don't, they're not reading his counts, but as Chris hears it, he will still plead guilty. Um, and again, I, I didn't, I kind of tuned into that part with Ventura, but I was also listening to so many of the things they were saying. But the the 62 crimes would be things like Chris's rape, you know, when she was 15, it's, there's no statute of limitations for that. So that's my understanding, Anne, of what will be included. Okay. Which is good. I mean, that's fantastic. No, honestly. that's perfect. That's just that, you know, how quickly news spreads and then gets twisted. So I, you know, people are saying that he was going to admit to over 80 rapes or something like that. And I was like, I saw that on Facebook somewhere. And I was like, that doesn't seem right that he would volunteer more information than 
than what he's being charged. I think that's part of the negotiation that's been going on. And, and actually, I wouldn't be talking about it except Sam broke that in the story today in the B. So I feel like it's out there. And again, me confirming it is not as good as the lawyers confirming it. And I'm hoping the lawyers are going to confirm some of this. They've been, um, they, they've confirmed some things, but I know that they're still negotiating and I don't want to do anything to upset the negotiations. I'm hoping very, I'm hoping very much that this just goes according to plan. There's every reason, the old, you know, I'm making this up. It's my hypothesis again, but there's every reason why D'Angelo would want to have this be done, not only for him personally, but I've all, long believed the one obligation he's had, and I say it as an obligation because I don't know if it's love, is his daughters. And so um, I do believe, it's so funny, Joan, I'm seeing your dog and I see your dog on Facebook all the time. That's cracking me up. Um, but it's the one obligation that he has is to those girls, right? Th those daughters deserve none of this. As far as I'm concerned, they're victims like everyone else. And again, I feel like it's like I feel like that's what he was trying to avoid by not having any sort of a preliminary hearing or trial because they live here. This is their home, and they would be in the news every damn day. And that has got to be hard. I know how hard it is for me, and I'm just over here minding my own world. I can't even imagine for them. I just can't. So I'm hoping that that is his motivation, which means he'll stick to it. And we'll get this thing. Uh, we'll get this thing done on the 29th, and then and then we can all do this meeting with wine. Like so. So Jen, <laughs> yes. I want to just throw in because you've heard my soapbox. But this is Chris. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go. this 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 is Chris. This is angry Chris over here. <laughs> but um, I really I don't feel the same way about his dog. I mean, I feel that they're victims and all, but I feel like he there's something that's going to come out at trial and maybe at the preliminary that he does not want to come out, whether that has to do with Sharon or whatnot. But I feel it's, I just feel like he's going to do anything to get out of that trial because maybe we actually would have got answers that we've been asking and he doesn't want us to have them. Like something's, something's there, you know, 150 witnesses they were going to have at the prelim. People know things and he doesn't want that to come out. That's my opinion. The nice well, way to look at it. I'm sorry. It's also part of his power trip too, where he has to have control, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that's true. And I, and I do like, now you can tell where we sit around drinking wine and talking about this stuff because, <laughs> because the thing is, I think Chris has a point. This is a shrewd man who's gotten away with murder and he's been everywhere. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's stuff that we don't know. And there's things that he's afraid that we would learn. If, what kills me, oh, I'm so frustrated, is I've really been waiting for a good, and Patty, you'll love this, a good criminologist to dig in. Like, those of us that really like the psychology and the pathology of this thing, and the thing is that they had hired someone, and I don't know who it is yet, I'm told they'll share it with me later, but they hired someone, but they didn't, at $400 an hour, they didn't spend a ton of money on it yet, because we weren't getting there yet. So that was, a, that was an expense that was coming with the prelim, but we're not there yet. So I'm really bummed because I don't think we've had an extraordinary psychological profile of this guy. We all know narcissists and stuff, but I really don't understand, even as a narcissist, how do you fuel yourself to, to commit, compulsively commit crimes almost at the expense of eating? Well, he ate on the job. We know he ate, well, he committed the crimes, but I mean, it, sleeping and, and showing up at home and bringing home a paycheck. He was able to be this prolific 
in that relatively small window of time. And by the way, for all of you listening that say he showed up at your house in the early 80s, I believe you. I absolutely believe you. There are so many victims that have been touched by him that aren't even included in this. They, to me, they're, they're on the edges of this thing and they're a part of the fabric, but they haven't been able to have their story included. And I'm absolutely happy to interview you if you wanna tell your story because I feel like those stories need to come out. But I have people who've told me in the 80s, he absolutely has peeped in their window or been at their door or tried to get in. It's just that he lost his agility by the way, and so, and so Jennifer, so those of us where he was at our window, do we get to speak and have a victim statement too? Maybe Chris can address. I don't think so. I mean, that's just from what I, the short statement I saw, it was for victims and family members. That doesn't mean you can't, but that's just what I remember reading. Okay. And that's absolutely why I'm willing to give voice and just do an interview with you and at least have you included in the podcast because I know a lot of people have been hurt by him. And to me, this oral history is everything. Like if we have nothing else, we'll have the oral history of the people who've been hurt. So, um, and, there, and there are a lot. And so, yeah, what's the pathology of a person who could be this prolific and absolutely push down all of his human needs to keep feeding this one drive that he had this compulsive drive to heart hurt people to be you know to be the guy who could scale walls and slide through windows and prep a crime scene in an empty house before you come home i mean god damn that's just jen. so demented jen yes you say that you had a massive compulsion and and he did but i don't i don't i'm i'm in the minority i don't think he stopped offending in general. I don't think he had this big hiatus. I think he would have had such a, a rush and he would have he would have had such a goal like you said, he had this aura. He would have had this aura about him. He would I don't think he could have stopped. I think he was hooked on the power that he that he had from these offences. I don't think he stopped for all that time. And maybe that's what he's worried about, people finding out any other crimes that he, he did commit. I think, Mark, that's a really valid uh, hypothesis, honestly. And I know there's one woman I really want to interview, but she's been afraid. I'm, I want to interview her because she talks about things that are contemporary that she believes he's absolutely responsible for, including leaving some of the souvenirs. He seemed to have had a habit, and I have a cat in this room that's going to knock something over, so get ready for the crash. Um, but he seems to have had a habit of depositing souvenirs at other people's houses. In yeah. some cases, like some things would show up, a coin or an earring or a, or a trinket or something would move from one house to another. So, yes. and those things are still, um, still part of the story that we were not going to get answers to right away unless we all tell each other. Unless we tell each other, we're not going to get all the answers. So that's one of the reasons oh, I want to capture this oral history. It's a drug to him. It was. It, it's like a. It's like a coke addict suddenly deciding go, to go cold turkey overnight. You don't just turn off those urges, that feeling of power, those the, the planning he put into his attacks. The way he treated his victims, the, the 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 feeling that probably gave him, you don't just switch that off and suddenly go on a ten year whatever it was break. I just think it's virtually impossible for someone like him to just suddenly go click his fingers and just stop. 
interesting. You were going to add to that. Yeah. We won't know, but it might go back to like the girls, you know, because then he had all his girls, not saying he stopped, but he's losing agility. He's got his kids. Sharon's busy with her law practice. It might have changed mm -hmm. you know, to something else. And by putting everybody together, have there been a trial? I think, you know, people who tell a lot of lies like to keep everybody in their lives separate because when everybody's together, it all comes together. And I think that would have happened Exposed. public, right. I think it, right. you victims can still do that. Um, but I think he did not want that in public because then, the, you know, again, if he cares about his girls at all, they start putting together, okay, I was six and this is what he was doing then. And it, that's just, how do you even live with that? Uh, yeah. Hi. I love the fact you can do witness statements as well. I think that's going to be, that's your, that really is your moment. Uh, and they're going to be, that's going to humiliate him. But think about, think about what he's felt. He's think he's like bulletproof and he's, he's, he's what he's not like a thought he's God and all this lot. And you get to stand there and absolutely humiliate him. Well, and the way witness statement, now, so Mark, you can get excited, but there's a, there are rules for how a witness statement works. And as I understand it, so funny, I look at the camera and then I look at Mark over there, but um, I, <laughs> uh, is that the, the way a witness statement works is you are, I wondered who the audience was because I'm like marketing and messaging, right? That matters to me. Your audience is the judge. So you are speaking to the judge. So we don't get to speak to D'Angelo. We can speak of him. But we don't speak to him. Actually, you can, Jen. I was reading up on this. More? Oh, good. And okay. um, you, but you have to. You just have to ask the judge for permission. Oh. So, like, you might be saying blah blah blah, you know, and how your life was changed, and then you would say, you know, Judge so and so, I ask your permission to speak directly to inmate D'Angelo, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> and um, and then he would say yes, and then you could do it. But you have to ask permission. Damn, though, that's going to take some. Okay, uh, I, mean, you have to I work up that courage. That. I think you'll get through that purely on adrenaline. I think you'll you'll <laughs> just make it. You will. You will. You will. You'll get to it, and then you'll be up. This is my chance, and you'll flick a switch, and then you'll be in control. And he'll be sitting there like a little. Can I, I'm not going to swear, but he'll he'll be sitting there shrinking back into his chair, and you'll be and you'll be pounding him. And I think that's brilliant. I have a question for Chris. Chris, have you prepared your victim statement already? No, I haven't, but I, so like, I'm, I'm, this is something I've never done. Right. So how do you capture in this statement, everything that he's, how you've changed, especially like, well, for me, I don't even know how I changed. I was too young to be who I was anyways, you know? So, um, I, what I'm doing is I'm just taking notes when I start thinking about what I want to say, and they may make absolutely no sense, but I'm just taking the notes. And then I feel like in the next few weeks, especially after the 29th, um, I'll start scratching out the ones that, you know, I had all the foul language and, you know, uh, blah, 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 and really kind of try to get down to my real feelings. And then thank God I have a therapist because this is a big deal. This is a, it's very scary. And it's our one time, our one time to say our piece. And so, you know, it's got to be right. You know, it can't just be, you know, flippant. It's got to okay. take thought. So I haven't, and I'm afraid to do it. But right now I have notes of my feelings. And then later, hopefully I'll be able to string those together. I'll probably call Ms. Uh, 
Carol over there because <laughs> she's pretty good with her words. She could help me out, but it is, it is, it is a big responsibility, I guess. I mean, there's so little to this case now in terms of a court record. So this will be part of the record and it does feel like a huge responsibility to be both thoughtful and, you know, to capture everything we can about what he did, because we're not going to have any other way to do that. We're not testifying on the stand. There's no, you know, my brother's breathing easy. He doesn't have to testify because I know that was just not something he wanted to do. So instead we have these impact statements and that's going to be a big portion of what's left here as the remnant of this incredibly huge 40 year case. So and it, you know it, what, Jen, I'm yeah, sorry. He, he, he actually gets a copy of every one of our statements too. So he can go back and read it as much as he wants. Well, I would like to sign that copy. Let's see if we can do that. That sounds fantastic. Uh -huh. <laughs> Take that copy. All right. It's, it's interesting if he gets a copy, I wonder how they're going to do that. Like this could be a really interesting, just on its own, just a, an interesting thing to bind and have available as a free thing for people, a big PDF of all the statements, because it's going to reflect so many different people. And, you know, Chris and I are talking about this. I've watched Chris change over the last two years. It's great. Been yeah. amazing. <laughs> and um, I guess we all have, I, I swear to God, I'm much more of a soft muffin than I used to be. And so, and I just don't mean physically, I mean like soft, I become a softy, but um, it is going to be an interesting point of view because everybody, one of the things I've liked best about the squad as a group of survivors is everybody really has had their own point of view and we've honored that. That has been an important part of us being a team is that we allow everyone to have their own feelings about it because everybody's different. Chris, you were 15, right? You were like the sweetest, most innocent young girl <laughs> playing the piano and this, and then everything changed. I mean, Chris, I, I don't know that she, I'm going to share her story, Chris, but he, Chris, you know, they ask, they're just asking about his description of his genitals. This is a 15 year old that doesn't know what male genitals look like. So how does she know if they're normal or ridiculously tiny as is the case? You know, how is a child supposed to know that? This is a child. He's a freaking pedophile rapist. So. She said something that was really poignant to me is she wasn't fully grown yet and so who would she have been who would you have been Chris that was very very poignant to me it's who would you have been because what you can't know you'll never know exactly oh you, know, you your issues you know with your dad and your stepmom and whatever what would have happened with that he took that away and that that's that's really heartbreaking and that, I see, that's so important because I think that's the number one thing that any victim of trauma has to come to terms with. And when my friend who was raped repeatedly as a child by her father tried to tell me that it changed her, I, I like at first just fought it because I'm like, no, you're who you are. But her point is valid. It's like the young girl that was the promise has now had to, and everyone who has had trauma it changes you. It makes you either, you know, more on alert or sadder, or you protect things that you didn't protect before because you shouldn't have to be paranoid all the time. So trauma really is this fundamental thing. And I don't, and I used to think the change was bad, but now finally I understand the change is actually purposeful. And if we can embrace that change and move forward, we can go out and create so much good with it. 
again, I'll get my soapbox and put it back under my desk. But the thing is, that's what I've learned about trauma is if you can talk or express yourself in any way, shape or form, artistically crafty, however that expression is, it's something you can actually absorb and make yourself better as a result. And that's, I think the hardest part of moving through trauma is accepting that it can make you better. And then, and then once you embrace it going forward, cause I've, I've watched these survivors do that and me being one of them and it's been amazing, but it's so, hard. so I just want to throw in, I'm not plugging my site, but, um, yes, the only good thing for me right now that I can hold on to well, I mean, I have, there are many good things. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I was, I finally, because for anyone who knows my story, you probably do. It's just, I was never allowed to talk about it. So even at uh, 56 years old, my sister and I had never talked about it yet. We lived in the same house. We just went on like nothing ever happened. So not talking about it was a really big deal. So I finally got the courage with a lot of encouragement from um, some of the squad people and others. And I started a Facebook group and it's called, um, it's time to tell your story. And I have, it's not a big group, but I have about 145 so far. And these stories are tragic and they're all very, very different. You know, there's stranger rape, there's within your family, you know, there's just different kinds. But um, I feel like this experience, kind of to your point, Jen, I, I did embrace it for that. And I'm walking out and I, and I am allowing... I'm an arm for a voice for others. And, you know, I don't have to do much in the group. I mean, I, you know, it's their story, but they have a safe place. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And I think that if I were to walk away and say, what's the best thing that happened of this is that I can lend support for other people that, that need a voice. So sorry if I went on about that, but you just no, kind of. So it's a Facebook group. It's private. So Chris screened you before she lets you in, but it's open to anybody who wants to Brilliant. start to That's tell a their really story. Nice thing to do. Yeah, it's called It's Time to Tell Your Story on Facebook. I think you can find it through mine or Chris's um, Facebook pages. We should, should be there or if, just reach out to us and we'll get you there. And if you know somebody who needs it, which is very likely in this group, absolutely get them in there because people are just basically putting their toe in the water, starting to talk, listening to other people talk. There's sometimes a lot of voyeurism because that's a good way to learn is to listen to others and watch so that's there. And Chris, I mean, it's been huge. And I can't believe you're up to 150, which also is like, Ur! I can't believe 150 people have been hurt, but it's a well, safe place. And not all of them are, you know, I've always said, you know, if victims only tell victims, I don't think that that victims need to, victims need to be able to tell people that aren't victims and still feel the support from the outside public because typically they don't want to talk about it. You know, if they find out someone else, something happened to them, then they're more open, but people shield it from the outside because they're afraid it won't be accepted. So even if you're not a victim, I think it's super important to go on and just say, Hey, I'm not a victim, but I support you. You know, this must've been awful or, you know, it just, I don't know. It just gives a good feeling of being accepted. And if, if it's only victims who are accepting victims, I think it's different than uh, victims and supporters. Does that you make sense? Am I tripping over my tongue? <laughs> no, there's a couple therapists in there, right? There's some others. Yeah. There's some nice balance, I think. So just to, if you want to, if you want to share that, please dive in. Uh, okay. So I don't even know what time check. Okay. Five. Okay. Maybe we'll wrap up about in another seven minutes, but did, what else do people have to say? This is a good chance. Go for it. 
I think when you make your state, when you make your statement, um, don't. I know it's going to be. I can't even imagine what you're going through, thinking about it. But literally, don't give him the satisfaction of seeing you cry or be really upset. Just look him in the eye, really mean what you say. You can as soon as you get off the stand. Yeah, boy, you know, do what you got to do. But for those five minutes, just look him straight in the eye. He, that would infuriate him because you're in control of that room, and he's he. You're all everyone's looking at him as in you piece of shit. Yeah, do whatever you need to do, but do you know what I mean? Look him straight in the eye just for those five minutes and just tell him exactly. I challenge you. each of you guys to think of the statement you would write. Because I think yeah, it's- Exactly, that's a great, great time. I great really, time. really would love to hear everybody's statements because I think it everybody's got a different point of view. And even if you've just been a watcher, I think it's important to express yourself in this way. What would you want to say if you were us? Or how do you feel from where you sit? Because I think that those voices, I mean, I'm happy to start to gather them. You can send them to me and I'll start to build it. I would like to tell him that I've been using his face for target practice over at the shooting range, <laughs> which I have been doing. She literally has. I have a photograph of her target all shot up. I'm like, oh, I should post this, but it's kind of. Yeah. We should put that permanently at the shooting range because it's in Roseville and everybody hates him there anyway. <laughs> Well, I'm happy to, uh, to, to start a compendium of witness statements from everybody else, because I think this crime involved everybody. It's just, it's not, this one isn't exclusive. This one's a California crime and beyond. Uh, I know you're all victims, you but you're also survivors, and you've got to remember, you've got to have the survivor mentality. You've, actually, you've got to go into this with a survivor mentality. You're victims, but you're also survivors. That's a hugely important, I think they should call them survivor statements really honestly i do i, I think i think it's, it's, a, it's a mindset there's a bit of a there's a difference in mindset between survivor and victim i really think you need to go into this with a survivor mentality and really shove it to him to be perfectly honest <laughs> oh we have okay and megan you i just some people on the chat like megan was talking about a walnut creek and the sacramento like yeah he's been a boogeyman for a lot of people and that's the part i think is um one of the parts that I think is so sad is that it just it just stripped the innocence from Sacramento. It stripped the innocence from the Bay Area. People started to be afraid, and that that's some BS, man. The seventies were awesome for those of us old enough to remember them. But they, you know, we had hornets and pacers, and we had you know cereal boxes we could read when we ate our cereal. And there was there were some cool things about the seventies that were so awesome. And of course, we ran in and out of the house nonstop. No doors were locked. We were beasts. You'd slept with the windows open in Sacramento because there was nothing better than a Sacramento evening when the Delta breeze would hit. So I know because of grandma's house, like I know how beautiful all that was. And to think that everybody lost that just now, my poor daughter, when it's cool, when it cools down here, I'm like at night, lock it up. She still knows no windows open because that's how we got in. I mean, even now I still enforce that rule. No windows open. I'd rather run the air conditioner, even though it's less pleasant than the breeze. If we're going to be asleep, if I'm going to really be asleep, windows have to be locked. Sorry. Wow. It's awful. But that's I got to get you a bigger gun, Jennifer. <laughs> I don't do guns because I know I would do I know. It. Yeah, I know. I, I, have, I, have my, I have hairspray. I have perfume. I'm going to get the bad guy. All you got to do is hit him in the face. Then you can hit him everywhere else. But you just got to distract him for a few minutes. Then you get the advantage. I always have my stuff by my bed. Well, actually, not by this bed. This bed's different. In this house, he'd trip over cats anyway. 
a mess. Um, so, okay, I, are there more questions? Because I, um, wait, sent questions during email. Okay, wait, somebody sent some questions during, during email. Let me just check. Um, I can also take other questions because I'm happy to. That's why I wanted to do this. Uh, I don't, let's see, there's too many, I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of questions on here. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, I think, um, I can't, it's too hard to look at with everybody on the, online, but I will try to answer questions on email, on email tonight or tomorrow morning, because tonight I expect a crash. Finally, holding a secret for two weeks is hard. Chris can tell you, we've had a hard time, and I felt the adrenaline start to already leave as the story broke today. I'm like, oh my God, I might actually sleep tonight, like in a different way, like deep, because, because we don't have to be quiet anymore. And, and it's been hard with all the justice discussions going on in our culture. It's been hard to be quiet knowing we have a dirty cop that's going to go down finally. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Black Lives Matter supporter. Anybody knows me, human rights, civil rights. So that's, you know, that's my jam. So this is another human rights, civil rights issue. I think you guys, I, there's no way to express, and we talk about this as survivors, the support we've had from everybody, like everybody listening right now. It's amazing to me how the world's changed where crowdsourcing and um, having followers that follow a crime can be so important. It's absolutely been incredibly supportive. Well, one good thing that has come from this, um, the way they caught him with the DNA, so many cases now are being solved that way. So this was, this is amazing that they were able to do that. And how many cases are now being able to get closed and the family getting closed? I don't know if closure is a really good word, but to know what happened. I think is amazing. I, I always think getting answers and you're right. The DNA and I can't, I get to talk to Dr. Speth now. He was the forensic coroner who did, who got the DNA. That is what got D'Angelo from my stepmother. So he's not, we haven't been able to talk because of the case, but now that the case is going to be wrapped up, I'm going to get to talk with Dr. Speth. He's fascinating fascinating person to talk to i mean he just every time i talk to him it's like a huge conversation but you're right getting answers for people who need answers and i suspect we'll probably get zodiac there is dna from what i understand the um, back of a stamp isn't it on the back of a stamp yeah the back of the stamp right and there's so many others and i'm hoping that um we continue down this path in california we got that felony dna law and i i do i i tend to walk the line because i do think um, the accused has rights too, and I really want to make sure that because I don't want to ever. I mean, I was accused, right? I was a suspect for five minutes, but it like I've been in. The, I know what that's like. Luckily, I didn't take it seriously. But when I talk about what Joe Alsip went with, went through as being tried in the case for my dad, and to know he was innocent, and what he lost financially, what he lost in terms of his reputation, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And so to think what he went through, we I, I really do walk that line between. You know, you do have a right as a perpetrator, as a suspect, and then also we have rights as victims. So um, I often straddle that line because it's really important to me to make sure that both sides have a fair chance. And of course, that's when I get worked up about Black Lives Matter because, of course, in America, it's been absolutely unfair. There's not a fair chance. And that's another thing that pisses me off about D'Angelo. This thing's freaking cake for this son of a bitch. And then we've got a woman in jail somewhere in the South for accidentally voting wrong. I mean, don't even get me started. Don't get me started. Color of the skin, that's just ridiculous to me. So this guy, our guy, 
let's just hope he's not going to end up in general population. I did a podcast on where, how this thing works and how, where he'll be and how the criminal justice system works at the point he's handed off to the Department of Corrections and all of that. So you might want to listen to that, but he will definitely be in what they call PC, protective custody. And then, and then you'll hear the uh, LWAP, life without parole, which is the other thing you'll hear people refer to as LWAP. So there's your words for the day, your glossary terms for the day. Lingo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, if anybody has their card. But those are the terms you'll hear, start, you'll starting to hear. And then as he goes into corrections, if I recall from what I reported, he goes into, first there's this probationary period, which is supposed to be pretty unpleasant. Again, not gen pop for him, but it's very, very rigid. And then he'll be um, regular in protective custody. Although I've been assured by a friend who is actually in a federal prison right now that he will be, um, that he can still be, um, let's say, influenced by others, even if he's in protective custody. So. I suspect he wants to die anyway. There's not much to live for at this point, other than his own obstinance. But as soon as he so is he gonna avoid San Quentin by pleading guilty and not, you know, being convicted and put on death row? Yep, he won't get to go make googly eyes at Scott Peterson. Nope. Um, I know. Yeah, Ugh, I just oh. hate that what guy. That guy and what's that? Richard Allen Richard Allen Davis too. We got Pollock classes killers just sitting over there. Sam Quinton, full of them, absolutely full of evil, horrible people. Yeah, actually, if you I, haven't gone to the Wikipedia of who's sitting on death row, it's worth the refresher course. Right. Yeah, Marcus. I live pretty close to the Supermax in Florence, so I'm in Colorado Springs, so Florence is about 90 minutes away, and that there's quite the rap list there, too. I bet there is. Yeah, I just, I don't understand bad guys, but then that's me. I just don't understand imagine the canteen at san quentin at lunchtime like all the tables and like oh there's so and so oh there's so you imagine who sits with who it's like Ugh. it's interesting because one of the things my prosecutor did tell me to do if i was interested in the next um few weeks she said you sh i should go visit a uh, prison and she said it'll be it'll be prettied up and um you know made to look nice for visitors but she said you can absolutely go do it and you should do it just to be reminded that it's not lovely and I'm like, well, okay, I, I trust it's not lovely, but it's interesting. I might actually do that and talk about it. It's not at the top of my list right now. I, did, I, I tend to pick up on the karma at those places, you know, the uh, vibe. And I don't necessarily know if I want that vibe, but, but I get it. You know, the point is that he'll be, it won't be pleasant, but it's still to me friction-free considering what others are go through. So we all get to go pursue the justice and make sure that all of us, all of us are working towards justice being actually fair, which I think is where I'm ending up on what justice is. Actually, it's just about fairness and we don't have that yet. That's, that's on all of us. We gotta get justice to be fair. Jennifer. Yes, ma'am. This is Margie. You know, I was wondering if he does go to Corcoran or anywhere, well, I mean, he's going to go somewhere. Do you think he will want to have someone write a book where we can get more information? Okay, that's Margie from Visalia. If you've heard the podcast, that was not my mom, Margie Smith, but the other Margie <laughs> Smith. The wine, no, this is the wine one. The wine one, not the scotch drinking Margie Smith. Right. So interesting. God, I hadn't thought about that. Well, he's not allowed to profit off of it. So that's one thing that's good. California has a law. You're not allowed to profit off your crimes. So ooh, that's an interesting. Yeah. 
because I'm thinking, well, you know, my main concern would be Jennifer and Donna. <clears throat> and I would imagine that that's not in the mix, but I'm right. just wondering he, if we can play to his egotistical behavior and get him to want to be, you know, well-known, oh. well you know, he's the, the biggest and the baddest and everyone else is stupid. So anyway, I'm hoping that he'll want to write, a, he'll want someone to write a book. Kelly. Not volunteering. <laughs> Definitely it, not volunteering, but I hope that's my hope. Well, we have an author sitting on the call right now. She's in the middle of my Brady Bunch. Kelly's right there. Uh, no. let, let's no. see. I would totally love to talk to this dipshit in person. I don't know if he talked to a woman the same way he would talk to a man. But I don't, um, think, he, I don't think he would talk to anybody, honestly. I've thought about it a lot. What do yeah, you think? He hasn't said a word yet, has he? He hasn't said a word to anyone yet, has he? Not even an interrogation. Not even, from what we understand, not even his family. Yeah, wow. that's a psychological sadist. He's not going to want to like tip his hand to anybody. I think that his like m major method of control now would just be remaining quiet. I think, or you know, Jennifer, like you were saying, he's not going to want to live for very long anyway. Maybe our best luck would be to give him a tape recorder and let him go. He could just Ooh. do it because wouldn't nobody could tell the story as well as he could, right? Like, let's appeal <laughs> to the narcissism here. But I do Wait, like Margie's idea that he might be, you know, yeah, a narcissist would love to tell his own story. Well, they could do what they did with Ted Bundy and like get him to tell him in third person. So they can't actually prosecute him for it, but they got Ted Bundy to talk in a third person. Like, this is what you, this is what you could have done, or this is what I would have done. But that, you know what I mean? So maybe maybe, maybe we could get Edward Kemper to interview D'Angelo. There you go. Because mm -hmm. Kemper's smart enough, and. He's, yeah, he could charm his way right in there. Okay, this is like, so we're so weirdos. We're all weirdos. Paul hoping. I know, but I'm like, Kemper's just right there. Kemper's on death row though, right? He's on death row too. So yeah, but I still, I'm I like, I pay for that. Let's go get Kemper to interview D'Angelo. That's perfect. Like perfect. And Kemper's so smart. He totally crazy profiling crazy. It was like I said to you the other day, no better profiler than crazy than crazy. That's right. You think Kemper would talk to a woman? I don't know. He's from Santa Cruz County, right? He's that. He's he's like my guy. He's from town. I don't know. That would be interesting. Guy, he's your guy. <laughs> it's so funny. I will. Freaking he could be your, your, yeah, could be your agent. Yeah. I, yeah. Ugh, freaking silly. Okay. So here's what I'll do. Um, y'all know you can reach me on Facebook and Twitter. Um. I'm going to put this up as a recording. I mean, I'll post this so people can listen to it if they want to see. I'll just post this as video and everybody can be um, video famous. And then I will, if you have any questions, absolutely tweet at me. My email is available through my website. So if you go to jcarroll.com or the lawyer's daughter, you can get to contact and my email's there. And I think it's, I put it in tricky so it can't be turned into a bot or bots can't get it. But you can always reach out to me. I might take a delay in it getting back to you on email, but I try my best. And um, I appreciate y'all coming on because you have no idea how supported I feel by all of you. It's just amazing. I know I say it, but I really mean it. Um, 
I think Chris has started to feel it too. It's just nice to have folks that just kind of have our back and represent for us on social media and look out for us when we're getting attacked, which is rare. Really, it is rare. But um, this has been amazing. And I really appreciate y'all showing up today because it's going to, we're getting there. It's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks. So I might do this again after. Um, I'm going to probably need a day, but I think it'd be cool to talk again after and just hear how everybody else has experienced it too, because I'm really interested in your take. So I'll, um, I'll look to set something up and we can do this again after the 29th, which would, I guess be the 30th. Let's plan on the 30th, maybe. Thank you so much for coming. This is great. Well, thanks for doing this, and thanks for letting me pop on as well. Thanks for... That's right. Well, Mark, you stayed up, I think, maybe the latest, so... Yeah, it is actually now 1.40 a.m. <laughs> oh, wow. I, that's commitment, people. That's commitment. Okay, I'll talk to you all online. Love ya. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Au revoir. Venture Highway.